from the dead, it's Palmer Quest, live from the heart of Brooklyn. Palmer Quest is an hour-long podcast about everything in and relating to technology. With three techno experts, Eric Newman. Hi! Chris Grabowski. Hey! And Tyler Dinner. Hey there! This week's episode, Deny My Service. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another Bull Request. We're back from the dead right here, live for you, coming from the heart of Brooklyn as I overmodulate my voice to the annoyance of our five listeners. My name is Eric Newman, and to the left of me is nobody because we do these shows alone. But a few blocks away, still in Bushwick, is you, Christian, my compatriot of code. How are you doing? Doing all right. Just remembered I, I, I'm here in Bushwick. I forgot about that for a second. You forgot you were in Bushwick for a second? Yeah. Live from the heart of Brooklyn. There's there are many hearts in Brooklyn, probably. but And any, someone who's also still in Bushwick, but just barely, is uh, to the left of you, Tyler Dinner. Hi, Tyler. How you doing? I'm good over here on the border. Uh, and I definitely <laughs> remember that I was in Bushwick as I walked around the neighborhood. Can you, like, day. flick seg- cigarette butts into bed from your apartment? Is that what I could definitely kick a dodgeball that would land end up in bed If you could kick a dodgeball so it went over the train tracks and then didn't hit the train into Bed-Stuy. That would, be, that would be an accomplishment. I wonder how close I could get. I don't know. It actually would be funnier oh, if you I, hit I, it I, as I, I spray a train. If, 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 I, if I have to deal with a, a train delay tomorrow <laughs> because of a dodgeball... You won't be notified it's a dodgeball. You'll just be stuck. I we know, are being be, delayed be train because of train ahead. traffic ahead of us. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be worth it. It would be worth it. Uh, let's see. So we took two whole weeks off, really almost three weeks off if you think about it. And I think actually last March we took around the same time we took around the same time off. What is it? What is uh, it with us? It's uh, St. Patrick's Day is one of the most sacred of holidays. Yeah, so, but we're you know, doing a show on the day we, we, we after St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, but, you know, you, we got to pay homage to the guy who kicked the snakes out of Ireland. There were no snakes. He was no saint. There was no Ireland. It is fake. <laughs> anyway. The snake uh, was <laughs> Never mind. Uh, if, if only they made St. Patrick say the movie with Samuel L. Jackson, that would actually be pretty funny. If only. Well, I feel if it was historically accurate, it'd be wildly racist. Oh, well, yeah, but I mean, you know, you could make an homage like you said to it. Snakes Uh, on an Irish plane. Exactly. It's just a field, there's a bunch of snakes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see, a lot's been going on in our world the last few weeks. I had that family weekend, that was the reason for our first week off, which, you know, it's like an anti-vacation because you spend a a bunch of money, you take off of work, and you end up having less money, and you're more stressed and more anxious than when you left because you just spent the weekend with your family who were giving you crap the entire time. And Eric proved he's not an only child. Uh, yes. Yeah. I brought my sister in from. I imported her from the West Coast, and or he uh, she, hired someone off Craigslist. I would not hire someone who looks like that. <laughs> off anyway, no, no, no. no. That, you don't even have a sister. You just hired some random girl. Exactly. This is my sister. I swear. Exactly. Guys. Yes. <laughs> You've been practicing every. Weekend I also for hired. A month. I also hired some parents and aunts and uncles as well. They've all Craigslist. got flashcards. They're doing their homework. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We, uh, it was a lot, it was a lot, and in fact, uh, my sister, who is really not a New Yorker, I know I'm not really a New Yorker, Christian, before, and you're not really a New Yorker, but you're the mo- you're the closest out of any of us I, here. I was born in Brooklyn. I was born in Brooklyn. Uh, no, but the thing is, like, is yeah, that... technically, but nah. I'm, I'm a reverse New Yorker. I, but I, and the thing is, is my sister, I've been in the though, city way longer than both of you, really, She hasn't, it doesn't, but yeah, but Tyler, you're, <laughs> you, you, you have your California speak. I lived my entire 20s in New York. That's your fault. Um, you could have lived in worse cities. <laughs> Like us, anyway. <laughs> well, no, well, the I, thing is, the thing I is, I have spent my entire twenties here in New York. 
just in, in Long Island. On yeah, Long but Island. you're no, halfway. <laughs> no, in New oh. York, mate. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, you have. You're just yeah, only you're 21 now. <laughs> wait, you're, so you're, tw- you're 20. Your 20s are 20s. Are... Yeah, yeah I, I still got a few. Well, I spent my 20s done. <laughs> 10 years yeah, in New York. And, and, and now, now I got to take you guys to the retirement home. In uh, Juno hey, Beach? Hey, Where's the retirement hey, home? We're going to. We're gonna go write PHP. Yeah. <laughs> no, see the thing is, is that nice I was Tyler. I was born in a farm upstate. So Eric's gonna do. I grew up <laughs> in uh, South Florida, and now I live in the city. And it's just like I'm a reverse New Yorker. I, I actually have never heard of a retirement home here in New York City. You say what? I've never heard of a retirement home because they all live in. in they're all in Palm Beach. When I was in high school, yeah. I was a waiter at a ritzy nursing home in Juno Beach. That was a not that absurd job to have. Because of that sounds like good money. It was seven dollars an hour, seven fifty. But tips? No tips, because it was pre-fix. Bad money. All anyway, right, moving on. So Tyler, actually, you know what? I have to restart the recording because Logic is doing that thing where it's delaying my voice. Hold on, I can't believe it's doing it this early. Should I not be recording the show on a second hard drive? Is that what it is? We told you to stop using Logic. Well, that's yeah. All right, hold on, yeah. just a second, just one second. Hold on. Thank you for being a friend. And the card Okay, I just added an hour to the post production because I made it. When you go mistake. for your like five hour walks, do you just play that in a loop? <laughs> no. I actually only listen to it when we do when we do the show. Lies. Because you guys are my only two friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh let's see. So you got a new studio. That was one of the things that happened the last few weeks. I got a music studio, a lockout as they call them in the uh broken. What's band a lockout? Business. Um, it's just a, a music room where you, you know, you get to lock out. You, you have your music uh, equipment there and you practice and that's called my bedroom. <laughs> you mm-hmm. can, you know, 24 hour access. You can make as much noise as you want. Your neighbors uh, uh, don't allow that. Interesting. So is it in a, in a old warehouse, like the sweatshop? Or is uh, it it in is a... in like a random warehouse in Bushwick and the, it's, there's just a bunch of bands in them. All the rooms range in size. I guess the smallest like bands, band rooms would be like nine by nine. Uh, and, and you have you have multiple bands sharing them a lot of times, so there'll be like a communal drum kit, or they'll have different drum kits, and then they'll just show up and and uh, yeah, everyone will keep their stuff there. So that's where like bands go after the uh, after gigs, they they go back to the studio or back to the lockout because your equipment lives there and not in your house. Ah, unless you're a streetlight manifesto and your equipment gets stolen all the time every time you go on tour. <laughs> um... <laughs> That's right, and that wonderful sound you heard was from our studio audience who have been slowly suffocating in the Tupperware container that we keep them in during the week, and we take them out on Sundays just for us. But they're, I mean, they're, I forgot to water them the last two weeks, so they're kind of brown. And I mean, wow. Whoa. So, yeah, I Whoa. didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Better. Uh, moving on. Uh, so you like your new studio, Tyler, is what you're saying. It's heaven. Great, great. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm going to Austin next week for South by Southwest. Uh, oh, oh, wait, that was this week. <laughs> Why did I buy a ticket? All right, I'm going to a wedding. I'm going to a Jewish wedding in Texas. That's, oh. uh, Are there gonna that's going to be, gonna be fun. Is there going to be protesters outside? There's going to be protesters outside the wedding. Yeah, it's the only wedding. That's the only Jewish wedding I'm going to go to where you can't actually say that you're Jewish or else you'll be... Uh, You'll be thrown out of town they have, or something. Yeah, I didn't know they had Jews in Texas. They don't. Oh. My friend my friend who's getting married Short doesn't story. even publicly say that he's Jewish. 
So it's gonna be it's gonna be a real fun time. Where's my uh Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Uh, anyway, let's kick this into high gear because there's a lot of stuff that's going on. There was a bridge in Miami that collapsed. Um, that's not fun. It actually killed a few people and flattened cars because it weighed 905 tons. Terrible. Terrible. It was not built up to code, and uh, that's Florida. Don't go to Florida. Uh, let's see. The guy, do you remember the, uh, this video from the pre-YouTube era, uh, Tunak, Tunak? by Dollar Mendy. It was like really popular in in 2003 or 2004. No. Um it was like this I'm trying to I'm trying to pull it up. It's uh I should have had this ready. Um it was this I guess it's not I don't know. It was one of these things that it was really uh it was a really uh what like a touchstone of my of being in high school especially uh pre YouTube. If I can just uh Dollar Mendy here let's See it was he had a dance. I think Gangnam Style ended up ripping this dance off when I think about it. This is an ad. I'm not playing this ad. All right, <laughs> next. What's going on? Next. Yeah, anyway, no, sorry. So he was caught in a human trafficking case and is uh, getting two years in jail. All right, that's bad. Don't sell people. Next. Next. Uh, let's see. There was a guy, um, Opal Card Implant. Uh, is this uh, Seattle? This is a biohacker who implanted an Opal Card chip into his hand that's to use the subway. Uh, meow Ludo Disco Gamma Meow Meow. I'm not kidding. His uh, 33. Next. Surgically implanted an Opal Card chip into his hand last year so he could swipe on and off without using a card. Transport authorities charged him for using a public transport without valid ticket and for not producing a ticket to transport officers because it was implanted in his hand. Mr. Meow Meow, which... <laughs> Come on. Mr. Meow Meow pleaded guilty to both offenses, offenses at Newtown local court. He was fined $220 for breaching the Opal Card terms of use and was ordered to pay $1,000 in legal costs. I this mean, is two knock, two knock, two. Did he try to pay that in catnip? <laughs> did he try to what? Pay that fine in catnip. Yeah, there you go. I can't believe Mr. Meow Meow. This is actually how he's been recorded. Oh, dot .au. This is in uh, Australia. I New mean, South Wales. That sounds like the news was. Didn't it say the guy was in Seattle? Was it? No, I said he was. Where's the Opal Is that an Aboriginal name? Uh, no, it is. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it is. Opal is the New South Wales, uh, hmm. transit system. Interesting. I said it was Seattle. I'm an idiot. Well, it, it uh, doesn't, it doesn't, uh, sound like he actually anything wrong just well I, well what they what the his lawyer said the lawyer representing mr meow meow i can't believe that's in this article uh, argued that the transport legislation had advanced to include methods of contactless payment through mastercard and some smartphones he said the law should adapt to all available technologies including implantable tech but magistrate michael quinn said while the legislation may catch up with technology in the future the law of the day must be followed and so he's been fined all right, the uh, cyborg does not win today. Next. No. Hard-coded password found in Cisco software. Cisco released 22 security advisories a few days ago, including two alerts for critical fixes, one of them a hard-coded password that can give attackers full control over a vulnerable system. Nice. The password is 12345. Hmm. Uh, hard-coded password issue affects Cisco's, pro- uh, Cisco's prime collaboration provisioning, P2, 
PCP, and software, a software application that can be used for remote installation and maintenance of other Cisco voice and video products. So if you, they have a, all have a hard-coded password and they haven't been changed, you can control you can control a large sector of the internet. Well, no, this isn't the internet. The, this is like a, the big it's infrastructure en- equipment, isn't it? No, th- this is for like the big enterprise, uh, like uh, like uh, Cisco has like a uh, equivalent of Slack that uh, big enterprise companies will pay millions for. So it's like and the things internet. Like that. Do they need hardware for this? Uh, like you, you have a Cisco box, and like it, it benefits from it. But it's like uh, Cisco Jabber or something like that, and like a bunch of things like that. Oh, it has whatever technology will maximize Cisco's profits in hooking you up with a business solution. Well, as as I've been learning recently in the, in the tech business, is uh, if you're selling an enterprise, it, you really don't want to be that creative. Oh, you don't. No, that's why everything still looks like it's designed in 2004. You have to be creative uh, with your brochure and your side sh- your slideshow project. Other than that... No, you need a good marketing team. <laughs> you need yeah. a good marketing team that have nice suits. That's what I've learned. They have to... Oh, no. They, the marketing doesn't have to actually show their face. It's all digital, oh, no? media. It's all digital media now. Ah. Yeah, just better say synergize and a bunch That's of other even combination words of business terms. I need to... I, need to, I just want to be flies on the walls of these giant enterprise deals where people pay millions of dollars for no, horrible don't. software. <laughs> Uh, what'd you say? No, you don't want to be involved in these conversations. No, no, I don't want to be involved in the conversation. I want to watch them happen. Uh, no, you to listen to them. Like yes, I do. I want to see how this how this uh, crappy as, business goes down. As somebody who's set in on these, no, you don't. Yeah, but you don't want to be a crappy businessman like I do. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's move on to Great some local news. <laughs> let's let's move on to some local news with our New York minute. Where we take a look at your five boroughs. Banksy's East Village mural restored after vandal tags the art. Banksy had a new mural that was uh, painted in the East Village. uh, I said by Banksy already. Uh, And it was uh, protesting the imprisonment of Turkish artist and journalist Zara Dogan. Dogan, an ethnic Kurd, was jailed after she painted the Turkish flag flying over the rubble of a destroyed town. The town might have been destroyed by the United States. Anyway, um, what is it? So the mural has been restored because it was tagged. His graffiti was graffitied. Basically, <laughs> and well, it's unfortunate. So the issue here is clearly the other graffiti artist is not as famous, or as creative because they just spray painted their crappy tag on top of Banksy's real graffiti. This is actually it's like it's like the difference between American and European graffiti. So it's like so real talk. Speaking of American, the only living artist I can name is Banksy. <laughs> what? Banksy's the only living painter or artist that I can name. There's that uh, there's that guy who's making who's like Salvador Dali the sequel, but I forgot his name. I I know the name of the guy that makes the Costco paintings of the cottages that light up. Thomas Kincaid. Uh, I don't know if he's alive anymore. What's his fit? Bob Ross is dead. Uh, yeah. This isn't good. <laughs> no. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, we had one. We had one story about trains. Here's another one. The TSA and Amtrak police are trying out new see-through body scanners in Penn Station, which will now make me late and start missing trains. Because the only way that I've been able to make all of my trains is the fact that there's no security. <laughs> Whether it was Metro North or Long Island Railroad or Amtrak, it was the only thing that's allowed me to get on those trains <laughs> to make them is the fact that there's no security. Join us next week when Eric tells us about his trip on a hijacked train. 
You know, there haven't been trained hijackings. There have been a lot of derailments, and it would be completely obtuse if the TSA thought that the derailments were security issues, so they need to solve. They can solve them with this X-ray stuff. No, it's un- like they don't maintain their stuff, and it falls apart. No, they don't maintain their. Well, well, I, I mean, nobody, not neither Amtrak, New Jersey Transit, Long Island Railroad, or the TSA maintain any of the, the infrastructure stuff that they put in. The T- these these passive millimeter millimeter wave machines are similar to the ones that you have in the air that aren't maintained, they aren't calibrated. Nobody knows what they're out, what they're emitting, but they can at least see through all your stuff. Yeah, it's no bueno. Yeah, it's no I, bueno, I'm, I'm and if they're just kind the of idea. doing this passively at Penn Station, just people who are just walking by or like walking down the train platform, you'll be you're being exposed to a bunch of rays. But it's odd because it says these machines do not emit X-rays or other radiation. However, it it works by detecting the heat radiating from the human body. So I don't understand how it works without radiation if it does that. Oh no, that's actually very easy. It's like a heat vision uh, uh, glasses type thing where you're just seeing. The fact that there's a colder area would mean that you have an object in front of your body, actually. Well, that's infrared, but what if you have a sexual object in front of your body? Yeah. Anyway. Um, but I don't know. Anyway. I, I'm, ex- I'm, extremely, I'm extremely skeptical of this, and that's why I opt out at all the airports every time I fly. And There's nothing that says that you'll be able to opt out of this when you take a train. Right. And now uh, get, you can get your official pull request merchandise: tinfoil hats made uh, handmade by Eric. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Well, I guess if I did hand make them, I could put them on Etsy. <laughs> anyway, coming this uh, summer, that would be very Eric quick. takes a bike uh, to work. <laughs> <laughs> Five people arrested in major Red Hook weapons bust. Five people have been arrested after police said they found a cache of weapons at an apartment in Brooklyn last month. Oh, I found my gats. Is that why you moved, Tyler? Yeah. <laughs> Damn. I had so many sweet said- guns. Oh. <laughs> so that's what all those violin cases were uh, full of. Investigators last Friday said they found 12 guns along with thousands of rounds of ammunition. One of the commanding officers called it one of the largest gun seizures he has ever seen. Wait, 12 guns? And that's one of the largest he's ever seen? It's New York we're talking about. The the dude from Vegas brought more on his own, just in his hotel room. He had like twice that. But this is New York. I know, it makes sense. You're right. But it really shows you, like, that's... That's not a big collection in some places. If it were Chicago, they would have said, wow, we only found 12 guns. (laughs) (laughs) If this were Texas, they'd be like, what's all these people? They they don't have nearly enough guns. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, oh, we arrested them because they didn't have enough guns. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Oh, man, and I'm going to a place where people will shoot you if you mouth off to them. It's going to be great. You better get a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I do have a Kevlar vest since I'm from Florida, but I don't think... I don't know if that'll help. That's a family uh, guy is thing. it a woman's Kevlar vest to go with your woman's blazer? Oh, you know what? I actually <laughs> bought uh, a new suit. I I bought a new suit to go to this wedding. But wow. it is a woman's suit. Is it purple? It's not purple. Just the blazer is purple. It, is it? <laughs> and it's made for women. Is, is it like powder blue or, pa- or powder orange from Dumb and Dumber? <laughs> yeah, no. It's uh, it has. It's like one of my space hoodies. Is so it, it has like the space background with a cat color. on the front. Nice. Uh, yes. And then our last story for local news is uh, is kind of sad. New York officer Michael Hans, who was remembered for twerking at the gay pride parade, dies of 9-11 related cancer. <laughs> Talk about previously unsaid sentences in English. This is one of them. NYPD officer Michael Hans, who raised eyebrows and made headlines in 2015 for his twerking with a reveler at the, gay, at the city's gay pride parade, has died of 9-11-related cancers. 
He was 44. Damn. The 17-year-old veteran of the NYPD who worked the, bu the bucket brigade in the aftermath of the terror attack in the World Trade Center died on Sunday. I don't think he gets more New York than that. That's a very New York way to go. Well, he didn't He didn't die while twerking at the Gay Pride Parade. No, no. but he got made famous in the New York Gay Parade, and then he got... Uh, and then he got 9-11 cancer. I know and it's sad. still had a cough from cleaning up from being a responder. It's insane. Yeah. It's really sad because nobody in Washington really cares, even though they'll still use 9-11 as a reason to do more things that evade our rights it, or erode our rights. It only comes up in debates now. Yeah. It's really sad. All right. All right. That's New York City. Well, yes. Eric skipped right on the time. tragedy this week. That was nice of you. Now we're going to talk about what happened in the East River next. Oh, you know what? I think I saw that helicopter, by the way. Chopper go down. Everyone's sad. Last week, while we were supposed to be doing the, the podcast, and I was doing, taking a 12-mile walk around Brooklyn, I saw this chopper. I was riding Brooklyn Bridge Park, and this chopper was flying around erratically, and then I get back home, and, I read, and it says, Down Chopper in East River. I'm like, oh, man, I saw it. But it's too late. Anyway. You want to hear a, uh, another travesty, Tyler? It's time for Christian's GitHub Issues of the Week. The first GitHub Issue of the Week comes to us from Facebook's RocksDB. Create column family API incompatible with the latest versions. Take it away, Christian. Sure. So with this one, let me just get to that. Sorry, the Chrome thing is having issues. I thought you were using Firefox. I am, except the uh, outline only opens up in Chrome. Outline only opens up in Chrome? Yes. You mean the Google Drive only works on Google That's an excessive Google Docs Chrome? problem. And my yeah. doorbell just rang. Who would be ringing my doorbell so at 8 o'clock at night? It's me. You got me. Oh, it's you. Okay. Well, let's... Let me bring my microphone out. Let's, who the hell would be ringing the door at 8 o'clock? Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So, All right. So, RocksDB. What is RocksDB? RocksDB is an embedded key value store uh, based on an LSM tree. does copy on writes written in C++. And okay. uh, embedded so the issue where? embedded into your application. Groovy. <laughs> so it's a key value store. Why are there so many different key value stores? Because they're all implemented in different ways to do different things. So what is this one good with? Uh, it, it's good with write-heavy applications. Because of the copy on write. No, because of the LSM oh. tree. LSM stands for log structure merge. Log structure merge. What does that mean? Well, log structure merge tree is the whole thing. So it means you have like a write-ahead log that then uh, like can take random writes and then be merged together into a certain structure. Oh, so you just throw a bunch of disparate writes at it and it just writes them in the right place? Yeah, so random writes are actually really fast with this. Gotcha. All right, and the issue is that the, a com uh, the create column family API is incompatible with the latest version of RocksDB. It has an it has an API that's not compatible with itself. So uh, the user found a, a breaking change in a not um, this is not not like the critical path of like how do you normally use it, but you can use it this way to create like a whole column family to basically uh, create kind of like a, a fake SQL layer. Well, you can reason about your data in a SQL manner with this. I think is the right way to uh, describe it. Okay. And so with this, it was just a breaking change. Uh, the, there was a patch, though, where... So the solution for this is actually copying the uh, column family options uh, object. Instead, it, it was pa passing around a single instance, so if that was getting modified, uh, it would actually... Oh, and you couldn't modify that. Yeah. 
So it actually was compatible with the API. It was just user error. No, this feature needed this fix. Oh yes. So you should be able to pass the result of a function into create column family. Column family options. What? No. 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 That's not how this works. What is? It says db uh, dot or or arrow create column family column family options. Isn't that what it's doing? Yeah, so the column family options, what that's doing is that's creating a single instance right now, and this is in the test that's actually in the, the Rocks uh, DB no, I, I know, I know. So it returns an instance, and then the errors that are trying to modify basically an immutable object? Yeah. Well, not right. an immutable object, but it's the reference to that specific object. Instead, you can copy that, so that way you're only getting the value of that object. Right, so pass by copy rather than pass by reference. Correct. Okay, cool. Well, moving on to our next... GitHub Issue of the Week. Our next GitHub Issue of the Week comes to us from our favorite JavaScript library, React. Is there a way to access new context API within component did mount? This is another pop quiz, Christian. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the answer to this one. Well, um, so uh, I do know about context in okay. React. Uh, you mind telling us about that? Because that's actually the part I don't know about. Sure. Well, I, I know that I don't... Well, I, they have a new context API, which I haven't read about, actually. But contexts are a way to uh, pass information uh, down through the component tree without declaring them as properties. Or to inherit functions or, to in, or, or properties from parent components into child components without having to pass them all the way specifically down the, the component tree. So if you have, like, grandchild 5, you can still kind of... You don't have to pass this property through, you know, the, the parent, the child, the grandchild, etc. Hmm. And, um, yeah. And, and it can be... It's, it's, it's kind of... It's been deprecated, Facebook said, for a, a while. And I say a while, like a year or so. And it makes sense that they've come out with this new API. But because I haven't looked it up, I don't really know what the answer is. Um, so... Uh, Anyway, I won't read this on the air, but we can return to this well, some so other time. Well, I, I guess anyway, like, the uh, issue is what? TLDR. The issue is the user wants to access this in component div mount, where it's actually not exposed. Uh, it is exposed in certain parts, though, just not this. So and the, the way that they're doing that is it's like a JSX element. It's like its own component itself, the context. Context.consumer. Yeah, what they're doing is they're just getting the context of, the, uh, like... Basically, uh, providing a wrapper that'll give you the context, and then uh, actually expose that context as a prop. Interesting. Well, what's what's well, I don't want to reuse interesting. What is interesting? I'll reuse it about that. Is just it's a completely different syntax from the old way, where you would actually declare the context in the in the class definition, and uh, and then you would say uh, child context types and stuff below. Um, so it's it's interesting that they've completely redone that interface. Hmm. Um, so the only way to access through componented mount is to redirect into props. The higher order component that redirects to props is a good pattern, but for cases where you don't want the extra component, usually what I do is store the context value on the component instance like, oh, like an instance variable, and then access it in the lifecycle hooks. It is a bit ugly. Um, okay. That is, that is an, uh, a general workaround through React's lifecycle is storing things as instance variables. But 
Yep. <laughs> uh, your solution was to switch to WebAssembly or provide the parent context as a prop of a child. Well, that's the thing. That's how it used to work. You used to be able to just say, you used to be able to basically inherit these contexts from the parents, but I can't really give the best uh, response given that I haven't read up on the new context API like I should have. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, anything to add? Nope. Well, then let's move on to our third GitHub issue of the week, which actually never gets... Uh, bumper music uh <laughs> also from facebook every one of them is different uh, uh also from facebook you're really in a love affair with facebook this week christian uh, St- i don't know if it's love so much it is uh frustration well, yeah um standalone os query i installation unable to uh query shared folder slash folder access th- access through full path this is facebook's os query Right. What is what is this? So OS Query provides a SQL-like interface to querying your operating system. Okay. So you can be like select count from files where file uh, is uh, like this. Oh, path. that's like what Microsoft has wanted to do since Windows Vista. Was, yeah. that was supposed to be WinFS. Yeah, and so interestingly, that this example that they're using happens to be uh, they're actually using Ming GW. So I don't know exactly what this is, but it seems like some unholy chimera of windows and linux stuff going on here where file.path like c colon backslash hello backslash percent sign it, it looks like the, they uh they're uh running this on a linux system but they mounted a windows maybe it's uh linux for windows linux subsystem for oh windows. that could be but then the ming gw doesn't make sense but i don't know because this it seems like it, they like uh the guy mounted uh a windows path into a linux machine but then he wouldn't be doing the... Oh, I see, because there's a C dollar sign forward slash hello. Yeah. I don't know. C forward slash program data forward slash OS query. This might be Linux subsystem for Windows. It might be. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, all right, so the problem is what again? So the guy's trying to uh, query for these uh, f- files, and uh, he's not accessing them. And so what it actually turns out to be, though, is that these are it's a remote system uh, that, that he's accessing. So it does seem like it might be like Windows is mounted on top of. So it's oh my like God. one of these he's is, one of these like is a... Windows, one of these is Linux, and who knows which one is which. Yeah, this does look like a Windows path with the double forward slashes, which are typically double backslashes yep. in Windows. So it looks like yeah. he's, a, he's either on a Linux machine accessing Windows or vice versa. Did, did they write the NetBIOS patch for a Windows subsystem for Linux to get, <laughs> get it to work with this? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what Windows uses for networking anymore. It's not NetBIOS. Probably just Windows file. Anyway, getting off track. So what's the solution? Uh, so this might not be possible. This is something that was never really intended to be done. Because it hasn't indexed the remote machine, so why would it be able to respond to these queries? Correct. Well, yeah. so that's not how this works exactly, though, but you're you're in the right direction. So there could be something with how file globs work via the Windows APIs. I bet this is Windows subsystem for Linux. It's even added a tag for Windows. Yeah. You mean the, the vice versa, where it's... Linux subsystem for Windows. That's what I said, Linux subsystem for Windows. You said Windows subsystem for Linux. Ooh, that's wine. (laughs) Anyway. um, Okay, anything else? Nope. All right, let's move on to our last GitHub issue of the week. Our last GitHub issue of the week that that also comes from Facebook is by the Relay library product, whatever. Undefined is not a function... And evaluating some syntax. This looks like React Native. 
I'm getting this error in React Native. Look at that. <laughs> Using React Relay 1.5 and, Re and Relay Runtime 1.5. And what exactly is the problem here? Well, I want to start off with I didn't know you could use Relay in React Native. That's pretty cool. Why wouldn't you? Uh, good question. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I just didn't think of it. Okay. And the problem is undefined is not a function. Mm -hmm. And what's the solution? Is this actually a problem or is this user error? So they were able to fix it by taking the uh, transpiled result, actually, and removing a for of loop and replacing it with a generic for loop. So they had to, they had to manually edit the transpiled file in yeah. order to get it to work. But then what happens when they rebuild? It's going to put that back. Well, aren't there, uh, depending on what transpiler you're using, aren't there like um, like macros you can use to like say, do not transpile this block? Ooh. I think there are. I don't know, actually. Uh, That'd be helpful. That would be helpful. I know you can definitely do it in uh, in linting. You should be able to do it with something like Babel. Yeah, you can. Comment Babel colon disable. Nice. Massive inline third-party library here. Why don't they tell you that, like, the first time you start using the library? <laughs> <laughs> Why have I never heard of that? <laughs> Just Babel 2015. <laughs> well, join us next week when Tyler tells us how easy his life's become. Yeah, yeah. I actually had to do. I had to do something similar. Not like that. It was actually with with uh, SAS. I had to. I was getting. I was getting some build error, and there was like a typo in the built SAS file that wasn't in the source file that I had. So I had to edit it and remove the typo well, and then rebuild it. Isn't it really SAS awesome. a little different? Where like you can't really like write native CSS unless you're doing like SCSS. No, you can do that. You can write native CSS. It just transpiles into CSS. It doesn't do anything. Oh, there's, what there's I'm saying no, is though, there's is no that, compiler like, issue because of the, uh, the white space requirements in CSS. What happened was I made I made a typo and I put a backslash on an empty line somewhere in the, in a CSS file, and that built, and mm -hmm. then but then when the the SAS piece built, but then Webpack died because it said oh this this file is invalid. But then when I tried to rebuild it, it wouldn't actually rebuild. It was like some odd issue because I've escaped something. With oh, the backslash. You, you front end devs. See, I just have compilers that yell at me if I mess up even in the slightest. <laughs> well, that's what this is. Well, that's you have exactly a, what you have a compiler is. to your compiler to your compiler. Yeah, that then not, yells at you. <laughs> it's not too fun, and all of those compilers change every six weeks. Well, anyway, uh, let's cut the kibitzing short because we're a little short on time. Because it's time for Tyler's plus ones. Our public quest plus ones are where we send out our well wishes and acknowledgments of awesomeness to people and other organizations. Who's our first plus one this week, Tyler? Number one goes to Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone. Sierra what Leone. What is it? Uh, they had the world's first, to our knowledge, uh, blockchain-powered election this week. I heard about this. Yeah. Uh, I guess the summation is, does the blockchain, uh, you know, is it does it provide a, a perfect solution for everything? No, but... Is this better than what we've got? Probably. This probably makes the elections a lot less hackable, if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, you can go back and account for everyone. Depending. Why? Christian? Well, depending on how pub uh, if they use a public blockchain or private blockchain, or are they... Because, like, first of all, one thing is, like, a blockchain at its core is just any other consensus-based uh, algorithm, but... Yeah, but it's the shared ledger that then makes all of the that has to be validated across all the nodes. But like so it I, makes like I said, all consensus based algorithms. But so the difference is blockchains can, can be pu public, and that's where it actually sees a boost in performance too. Is the public ledger? 
but is this a public ledger though? Because if it is, then you can see what everybody voted for, and all of a sudden you can hunt down whoever voted for the person you didn't want to voted for. Now that's the other thing. Yeah. So it makes it, it, it adds some integrity into the voting process, but then also allows the votes to be tracked. Well, no, you have a random ID, and then someone has the well, decoder. No, no you also have, it you says, also, well, hold you also on, hold on. It says, it says that the votes are anonymized in the article. Okay. We recorded the votes after tallying on our blockchain where the votes are anonymized. The chief executive officer of Agora told RFI. RFI is Radio France Internationale. The Agora e-voting system aims to provide a decentralized system that is both transparent and verifiable, according to Gammer. Cool. So who won the election? I don't know. You don't know? Okay. It's outside of the scope of this discussion. Yeah, that's fine. We don't care who was running, just uh, they use blockchain. All right. Uh, next goes to... Uh, the SEC... The SEC? With question? Uh, yeah. Usually, you know, they're not exactly the party animals, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, they they went after Theranos and charged them with fraud for. Who uh, Theranos? Theranos was a uh, a startup privately traded uh, health or uh, startup. There we go. Uh, oh, what did they do? They frauded people. Okay, but what did they say they did? I, I oh, they they, they, fra- they frauded. Ahead, they frauded earnings. Uh, oh. So a, uh, uh, the uh, investors uh, would uh, invest more, and it they cooked the books. Yes. Founded in 2003 by 19-year-old Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos raised more than $700 million from investors, resulting in a $9 billion evaluation at its peak in 2013-2014. Investors and media viewed Theranos as a breakthrough in large blood testing market, with the diagnostic lab industry posting annual sales of over $70 billion domestically. Interesting. Oh, Theranos claims its technology was revolutionary because it requires one one-hundredth to one one-thousandth the amount of blood that would originally be needed, and it costs less than other blood tests. Wow. Huh. So, she pled guilty to what? Money laundering? Security fraud? fraud? They, they've just been charged. They haven't pled anything. Charged. Um, I think Allegedly. That a lot of the... Another big deal with this is that they basically were, were promising investors based on what, the, what they intended to do in the future, not based on technology that they actually had at the moment. Well, that's most startups. Well, <laughs> I think this is kind of a, a warning against doing that too much. So the bubble might be bursting? Maybe? I think the bubble already burst uh, back uh, when you saw the Yo app no longer be a thing. Well, we did a startup after then. So. <laughs> and that, and they're doing fine. Okay. Um, so what's going to happen to these guys? Or to her, I should say. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Okay. Your next plus one goes to... Uh, hackers and uh, The Intercept, the magazine, who does great work, uh, for busting Twitter bots manually and keeping my sanity because now I'm learning that I'm not the only one doing this. <laughs> Um, oh, that's great! That's great. Yeah, and uh, I do. I am a big fan of the Intercept, by the way. Glenn Greenwald, who I hope has recovered from his uh, uh, what was it, uh, Bell's palsy. Um, that yeah, they're one of the few real journalist journalistic outlets out there. Yeah, they they impress me with every article that I see by them. Yeah, they really care about doing the job. Anyway, go on. Um, anyway, uh, so. I've actually recently been busting a lot of Twitter bots. Every time that I, that I see uh, a lot of these political caustic things, I go on and I, and I see the ones that are they're pretty obvious. And once you spend a few, you know, uh, more than a few minutes looking at them, you, you start to see a lot of similarities between them all. 
Um, Didn't you tell us that you had a a, a, a Twitter bot finder, a, a bot bot, a meta bot? I I was writing one. There was uh, there's some libraries, some APIs that that are made for doing that, but I, I didn't find any that worked well enough that I you know was going to do so. Oh, I skipped on it. Okay. I do have other ideas for for uh, adding, being a catalyst for uh, getting rid of these bots, but well, now you don't have to worry about it because uh, Glenn Greenwald's bright team have uh, figured it out. They're working on I am on the off. fact that people are doing it. I really have lost my rhythm. Once we t- take two weeks off, I just like sink, sink back into the nothingness rather than the powerful broadcaster that I used to be. It's alright. You can keep broadcasting because that's it for our plus ones. Plus ones! <laughs> <laughs> alright. Alright, alright, alright. All right, all right, all right. You need a new catchphrase. Hey, now Eric's going to get some steam. <laughs> and now, that's right. It's time to pick up some steam for my Apple Attack, where we take a nice little poop on Apple. First up, Apple confirms it uses Google's cloud for iCloud. That's right. A file that Apple updated on its website last month provides the first acknowledgement that it's actually using Google for its iCloud services. The disclosure is fresh evidence that Apple are not the company they used to be. Uh, uh, I wouldn't no, agree with that. <clears throat> Sorry? I wouldn't agree with that based on this. Well, I guess I mean I, I, I guess this boils down to a make-buy decision, and they said, why should we make our own cloud when we could just use from well, Google so and Amazon and Microsoft? But it's Apple. They should be able to do that. Apple, Apple has their own private infrastructure. It's uh, built on top of like a lot of Hadoop and Mesos-type stuff. But then you can also have benefit of things like in Google, they got things like Spanner, Bigtable, GKE. So it, it, it like they can maintain all their stuff, or they can. You're like, defending Apple on my Apple attack, Christian. No, I'm not defending you them at take, all. You take this garbage outside of this segment. Okay? <laughs> I, I'm, no, I'm, I'm explaining circumstances here of the fact that it sounds like you're defending Apple. Uh, this is an attack on, on, on this particular one because I don't think this is that big of a deal. I know why they went with Google. Yeah. But the, the it's obvious. It's because they really... can't. Apple can't make anything without wasting so much money and effort on the design that it's going to bankrupt the thing. So if Apple, it's not that. It's not that. It's that they've always failed to take data. They would have spent four years designing them. Johnny Ives would have got all nuts They're... over it. It would have spent billions of dollars just on the look of it. So they're using Google Cloud for iCloud. So it could be a number of things. It could be like iCloud. They're using it for like App Engine to do like uh, kind of like spot instance type things. They could be using it for storage, although it would be that'd be kind of weird. They could be using it just for something basic like firewall or like they're using DNS. Refurbished or... iPods for storage. There you go. Yeah, co-location of refurbished Bondi Blue iPods. iPods in a Beowulf cluster. <laughs> that would actually work out pretty Beowulf. well. Anyway, what is let's get back to the attack. Because mining Bitcoin yeah. they're not <laughs> being used for data. Exactly. But no, it's more, it's more of the fact that the headline is what really catches you. Because you would think that Apple would run their own servers, but they don't. I get the I get they it. Do. Google it, it, Google's it, cloud is more powerful. They can offer more things for big data. Apple have never got big data right. I got it. Why not no, Amazon? The, the, <laughs> Apple does have its private cloud as well. This, this, it's a multi-tenant thing. What, do you, what, what are they using there? If iCloud is in Google's cloud, what is in their private cloud? It, it's oh, on top of both. Many, oh, almost every large company does this, where they use even a competitor's data center to, uh, if they are comfortable with that. Like Netflix is on a- Amazon, even though Amazon Video is a direct competitor of Netflix. Ooh. Hey, so think about this. What if like all of Apple Music is 
just using Google Music, Google Play's music library. And <laughs> well, that's not, that's not this. That's using Google Cloud, which is just like server storage. How do you know it's how a, deep it goes, Christian? You know, yeah, exactly. That's a good. That's a good point. Okay, you can see moving on. Moving on. Here's a real. Uh, here's a real Apple attack. iOS 11 bugs are so common that they now appear in Apple ads. <laughs> if you watch the latest <laughs> Apple advertisement, you can see someone looking at a text message on their phone, and you can see that the text actually escapes the bubble that the text message is supposed to be displayed in. That's how bad iOS 11 is. The latest iOS on the latest iPhone has bugs that are so perverse that they have they're caught on film. Wow. Wow. Now you guys don't have any excuses this time. That's why yeah, I'm no, here, Jordan. That's a legitimate attack. Yeah, exactly. And that's the only... <laughs> Do I have any more? I think that was it. It was a pretty short week. So that's been our Apple Attack. That was a short week. That was like seven minutes on Apple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we only spent 12 minutes talking about Apple. You know, it's a relatively short week. Mazel tov. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, it's because we have we've been off for two weeks. There's a lot of stuff to get to. We're already 45 minutes in, and uh, let's keep this train a rolling with something that we do like talking about. Uh, wherever it is, I I am so I am so off. I can't believe it. Uh, okay, here we go. Um, because our next segment has a little bit to do with the FCC. Oh yeah, I know all about the FCC. And it's that uh, it's it's actually about net neutrality, and that Comcast, the leaders of net neutrality, um, and by leaders I mean the leaders in dismantling net neutrality, uh, have been accused of blocking an encrypted email service called Tutanota. Let's hear it more from Peter Griffin. They will clean up all your talk. No, um, the the thing is, is that. Uh, Comcast, regardless of what this article says, and regardless about what they say on net neutrality, Comcast has been has been throttling traffic uh, to competing services for years. I knew this back in my previous life when I lived in Pittsburgh, and I knew that they were throttling Netflix. And I said, the quality that I get watching Netflix is less than the quality that I can get watching Netflix on my phone in a basement with cell phone service. Like... That's not good. When I have a... And they ran a fresh cable right from the pole back in my house down through the basement into the garage right to the modem. It was a very new and clean connection. If that connection got worse Netflix than cell phone service that had to go underground and make it into my phone, there's a problem. So, to hear that they've uh, suspended service to this encrypted email client is no surprise to me, really. Uh, starting in the afternoon of March 1st, people weren't quite sure if the site was offline or if it had been attacked. Reddit users uh, speculated about the outage. Some said that Comcast was actively blocking the site, while others dismissed the claim altogether. Hmm. But they switched to another ISP, and, they, and the site pulled right up, so probably Comcast. Shady. Do you think... I mean, that's why... That's, like... I'm so mixed on net neutrality, but it just allows these companies to be acting like total, to continue acting like total douchebags, and it's not. And there's only, and there's only fewer of them. How are you mixed on net neutrality? Is it like Star Wars? Because like the dark I believe side is that paid prioritization so needs to exist on the internet. I do. Why? Paid because it already exists. Why do you want it to exist? Because it's already, it's already. This is derailing. There's no reason why it needs to exist. It already exists, and and packet shaping already goes on in most large internal networks anyway. So to say that it shouldn't happen on the internet, like I said, it's already happening. It doesn't happen in most internal networks. If you want idiocracy in the whole world. 
world to be brought to you by Gatorade Mondo Burger, then sure. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying large internal networks don't prioritize like VoIP traffic over HTTP or or or, or prioritize HTTP over do like BitTorrent. should be able to punish them or, for it. No. it shouldn't be legal. Or the video over HTTP. No, and there's two. Well, there's one way you can do that without packet shaping. That is a perfectly fine way to do that, and that's scheduler prioritization. But that's still, that's still prioritization. Right, but that's for performance reasons instead of the. This is different. This is like censorship versus. Uh, this is censorship, but but technically it's the same thing because it's prior whatever. Anyway, here's my analogy though. It's like it's like how they just said that it's they're not going to punish people who jump the subways anymore. They're not going to like pursue that. Uh, well, it's like if they actually said it's totally legal now to jump the turnstiles. It's like it's still illegal, but they're not going to punish you for it. That still is very effective versus if it was just legal to jump it, no one would pay. And they would I mean, use that's the hell that's out a of fair it point. If, if companies for, did that. But to, to speak to net neutrality of the internet, there's really no reason to prioritize a particular uh, thing on the public internet. It's one thing to do it within the privacy of, of your company or your home. Where this is, uh, you're doing it for either a performance, b to protect your kids from porn, which is perfectly fine, I think, parental controls. Get your employees but, off of social media at work. Yeah, I mean that that one's, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Hey, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to derail this beautiful conversation, but just this, Justin Christian, can you check your email for me? Sure. See if you got a, a oh. profane email. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. That's funny. Uh, yeah, we're not going to mention it, but that's, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Maybe that was the guy ringing my doorbell. Uh, <laughs> he knows where I live. It's really bad. Um, he can't be listening live. Like, how does he know we're doing a show right now? That's... Anyway. I, I think, as we, we've mentioned, we record on Sundays before. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. All right, anyway, let's let's move on, because we were getting too off track with net neutrality. Um, I've already stated my opinions on our two episodes that we did on net neutrality, so let's, let's keep moving on. That, but carry on. <laughs> what? I mean, you want to have a 30-minute sidebar about it? No, because... I already did. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so let's move on to something else that I know Christian doesn't like uh, because he hates women in power. It's time for Theresa That's May murders the internet. Views. That's not true at all. I know. That, that is just slander, good sir. Oh, I get it because he doesn't like you, Eric, doing the radio show. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, okay. Uh, you, you got me there. You got me, yeah. <laughs> good uh let's see uk has had enough of its rogue gadgets it wants iot vendors to secure devices quote by design there is a the uk government has issued a code of practice that they say they want uh the uh, iot or internet of things uh devices sold in the uk to have security baked in before they leave the factory floor quote this code of practice is designed to improve the security of consumer iot products and their associated services many cybersecurity issues stem from poor security design and bad practice in products sold to consumers, reads the paper. Indeed, millions of smart devices are out there ridiculously... uh, uh, Indeed, millions of smart devices are out there and and ridiculously easy to compromise for remote hackers. Some devices, like what we just talked about with Cisco, even though that's not necessarily IoT, contain a factory set password that nobody resets. So... Uh, I I agree with this. This This is a good thing. Yeah, well, some some devices like internet-connected home appliances can even pose a grave threat to the owner's life. Uh, First on the list of the UK government's proposed practices is to do away with what I just mentioned, default passwords. 
Other recommendations include implement a vulnerability disclosure policy. You know, this actually doesn't seem too unreasonable. Uh, keep software on the devices updated with the latest patches at all times, which I don't know how you're going to do if it's on a yeah. not connected directly to the Forest internet. updates are part of the law Th- now. This sounds like a programmer came up with these rules. Store credentials. Well, that might be better than a politician. Yeah. Uh, store credentials and security-sensitive data in a safe space away from hackers and Trump supporters. And Eric... Uh, <laughs> minimized exposed attack surfaces. I've been quite exposed lately. Be extra careful with with customers' personal data. Make systems resilient to outages and leverage telemetry to sniff out any potential security anomalies. That's interesting. Uh, so they're going to like they do snooping attacks on, I- on IoT devices. No, like you export metrics. <coughs> Gotcha. Make installation and maintenance easy for customers and make it easy for end users to delete personal data. That's not unreasonable. Yeah, it sounds pretty good, actually. Okay. Well, good. She's not actually murdering the internet. She's just keeping it on life support. So. <laughs> she did not pull the plug this week. No. No, she didn't. Uh, let's see. We're going to skip the cryptocurrency connection because there's nothing really... I mean, uh, that blockchain article that you had, well, not related to cryptocurrency, that was somewhat somewhat related because of blockchain stuff uh but i all i can tell you is that cryptocurrency was definitely the buzz the buzzword at south by and uh there were uh, tons of people um what is it there were tons of people pitching icos there were tons of people pitching new uh, new coins and and cryptocurrency scammers were a hot topic but that's all we have to say because south by southwest has been ruined and eric still hasn't made any internet money Still have not made... I've made a couple internet dollars, but it's not enough to do anything like how Christian managed to catch Netflix on an upswing and doubled his stock portfolio in four hours. I wish I could do that, Christian. That would be nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. We do have an update, though, from Equifax, is that people have started to, to um, sue Equifax in small claims court. Christian, not you. Christian High? Hey? H-A-I-G-H. Hi. Christian Hay, co-founder and CTO of litigation finance startup Legalist, uh, has started filing these small claims court suits against Equifax. And because the the rules in small claims court are vastly different from real court, um, you can actually slip through a lot of the cracks and find weaknesses in the armies of lawyers that will come to uh, to Equifax's defense. Ultimately, Hay won an $8,000 judgment against the credit reporting giant, which was later reduced to $5,500 on appeal. And I th- believe that was the maximum allowed in small claims court is 5500 So bucks. we just take them down like one by one. $5,500 at a time. Like rats attacking a giant elephant. Think about this. 143 million people in the U.S. were hacked. If 143 million times 5,500 is like $2 billion. Dollars. Yeah. That's $2 billion? That's enough for Equifax for a quarter. Um, yeah. In the pro- uh, so he won his judgment. In the process, he started funding other people's small claim suits against Equifax as well. How much does that 5,500 get taxed? Probably 50%. Damn. <laughs> it is the government. 
court costs and stuff. So forty-eight percent uh, tax and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So Hay won, but Equifax appealed the judgment and sent a high-powered lawyer from the law firm of King and Spalding to oppose him, along with an in-house lawyer and a company vice president. It would have been natural to have been intimidated, but Hay said he realized it could actually be a good thing for him. Quote, Equifax, being a large national corporation, part of their litigation strategy is to hire the best people. So they hire King and Spalding, but they're not really thinking through the fact that King and Spalding probably don't spend a lot of time in small claims court. Sure enough, Hay writes in his blog post that that benefited him when the company's lead lawyer didn't know that in small claims court, hearsay evidence is admissible. Wow. Wait, what? That's, it's admissible? It's admissible. What's that mean? Not inadmissible. Oh, so you can use it. So you, yes, you can use conjecture and stuff that you would just hear from other people. So if I'm in small claims court saying, and I said that Christian said that Eric called me names... Exhibit A. I could sue you. Yeah. Don't, though. I don't have 5500 bucks to give you because I lost out on Bitcoin. Eric anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, thus he wasted time and effort arguing that, hey, shouldn't be allowed to use a report about the Equifax breach from Senator Elizabeth Warren as evidence. Well, that's more than hearsay. That's a real report from a US, sitting U.S. senator. But it's hearsay in uh, civil court. Right, so... Uh, so yeah, it looks like small. This was not the first time that that uh, that pawns, the proletariat like us, are Pawn suing time? these giant companies in small claims court. But it does seem to work. So it's like they were expecting a class action lawsuit that they can draw out for five years, not this one guy who's like shooting the missile right into the middle of the Death Star <laughs> with the small claims court. And he's like, you weren't thinking about this. <laughs> Blowing up the Death Star with Magic Johnson here. <laughs> no, it's going to be more uh, like an no, Independence Day situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Jeff Goldblum. Uh, there's, uh, remember the, uh, the Intel... Uh, the Intel the in- Intel Inside conflicts, or not conflicts, exploits, sorry. Intel from inside. a few months ago. Uh, Spectre and what was the other one? Meltdown. Meltdown. Uh, AMD has now been accused of a few... Uh, giant exploits of wet as well that have that totally just poop on their new uh, CPU architecture. Well, uh, they, they had these two, and uh, please don't let this be from that article. I told you it was just speculation. Well, this are, well, no, I read this article that is speculation, and in the speculation, uh, this is the, exactly the one I told you don't actually take seriously. <laughs> I wasn't taking seri- I, t- I wasn't taking it seriously. Okay, then why is but, it in the show? Well, because we're we're couching it in that this is uh, an assassination attempt by someone who is overly provocative and trying to take down AMD. He count, now now I would like you to explain why these four exploits, Master Key, Rise and Fall, Fallout, and Chimera, are not as big as they appear or don't not really that, exist in the architecture. It's not that they haven't been proven possible. They haven't been proven possible. Okay. Who comes up with these names? They're all pretty sweet. The first guy to find them. So these guys it's are all like just a really constellation. good at naming them, huh? Yep. Well, I mean, people who were gamers. Let's take this stuff out. Uh, but, um... I don't know. There's uh, Master Key 1, install persistent software malware inside AMD Secure Processor. So a lot of these, um... What is it? It requires... Uh, a lot of these require access to the computer that if you have the type of access, your computer's hosed anyway. So it's not really... It's not really specific to AMD. Um... Yeah, anyway. I just wanted to get your opinion on it, on these exploits. Oh, actually, apologies. Uh, a couple of days after I sent this thing saying, please, uh, please don't take it seriously, 
uh, somebody did create uh, the POC. Oh. So Look it may that. be possible. It may be yep. possible. 13 secu- critical security vulnerabilities and manufacturer backdoors discovered throughout AMD Ryzen and Epic with a Y product lines. Uh, clarification about the impacts, the vulnerabilities and their impacts. Um, attackers in possession of these vulnerabilities would receive the following additional capabilities. Persistency. Uh, uh, saving it in the BIOS flash memory. Self, sitting inside the AMD secure processor or AMD chipset on the system management mode at the, is at the moment outside the reach of virtually all security products. Network credential theft. Um, and specific AMD processor features for cloud providers such as secure encrypted virtualization could be circumvented or disabled by these vulnerabilities. So this would be pretty huge. Huge. If uh, huge. these are proven. All right, so hopefully all the other processors on the market aren't screwed because half of them already are. Well, we laughed. We laughed at well. Mo- Intel has way more than fifty percent market share. Sorry, you're right. So, uh, well, yeah. that and Spectre and Meltdown affected pretty much every x86, 64 chip, and others. <laughs> right. So, and these don't seem to be as serious. Or what's the deal, Christian? Why are you so bullish on these exploits? Uh, so originally it just was like these weren't proven; these were all speculative, and now it has been proven. Okay, so you want to apologize to me for being? I, I did apologize. Obtuse. I said I had to apologize. I see Aww. now that somebody created a POC. Aww. But Eric didn't bring up the POC, so to everyone's credit, everyone was wrong. <laughs> hey, except me. You're right. You're right. I shouldn't blame myself. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, so don't use computers anymore, people. Just don't. That's the only way you can get out of this mess. You'll How's shoot your eye out. Oh, arm also. It's uh, Meltdown Inspector. Ah, crap. Yeah. Oh, I, all right. We're screwed. Uh, computers <laughs> were a 40-year fad. Build your own computers. Away. Build your own processor. Yeah, you, you know what? I'm not doing that. <laughs> I tried building my own framework, and that was a massive mistake that I constantly regret. I'm not building that anything fault. that complex again. <laughs> Well, it comes out of the same thing, where I can build my own processor, or I can build, I built something that was relatively simple, I thought, until I realized that I didn't have a good memory model or anything that would help scale with the amount of items in the database or in the framework, because I am an idiot. Anyway. I get no sympathy from you guys? Thanks. I appreciate it. Nope. Um, nope. No, no sympathy. Should have stuck with your lamp stack, buddy. Yep. It is a lamp stack. Yeah, but the original one. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Anyway. Um... Let's see, Twitter is now banning, along with Facebook and Google and a bunch of other uh, content companies, they're now banning cryptocurrency ads. Thank God. I could have... On, uh, yeah, on, on, on the networks. And uh, I guess you like it, Christian. Why do you like it? Uh, just, it's so stupid. Everything about it is stupid. It's like... Okay. All these, all these ads, it's reason. usually a scam, or if, and if it's not a scam, it's like, okay, great, but nobody needs to know about the... You don't want to they, hear they, about they, Russell Simmons' new cryptocurrency? <laughs> no. Part of it is they ruined the behavior of what cryptocurrency it's could have been. Sorry, what? They ruined the behavior of what cryptocurrency could have been and turned it into this commodity that is being uh, traded just like uh, American Girl dolls. Or Beanie Babies. Yep. Yes. Well, oh, man. content providers can crypto communications. Let's hear there, it. If you have power, get Beanie Babies well, back because I found some dope ones. I think they are coming back, actually. I found some that would be worth so much money for so little, and I'm, I'm waiting. Because I went on eBay, and like the one <laughs> and you're I found start are hoarding tons, them again. but no one's buying them. Yeah, because the craze is over. <laughs> it's going to be the same thing. As, you know how many of Russell Simmons Bitcoin I bought? Not too many. 
Too many. <laughs> I wish they were Beanie Babies. At least the Beanie Babies are soft and you can hold them and you can look at them. And they're nice little animals. And cryptocurrency is just bytes on a computer. <laughs> anyway, content providers can crypto communications. Let's hear it from our news department. New Money on presents news to you. The internet. Various top content providers and indexers, such as Facebook, Google, Twitter, and even Sky News, have taken to prohibiting and removing advertisements that promote or endorse cryptocurrencies, according to a new report. Cryptocurrencies, which are now known as a very real get-rich-quick scheme, have become a way to target vulnerable internet users to part with real fiat currency in exchange for bits that they may or may not have value. The recent boom in cryptocurrency and blockchain technology has spawned the creation of a plethora of new coins, currencies, exchanges, and something new that has been blo- that has also been blocked. Initial coin offerings. These new restrictions are done in the name of protecting users from what is essentially a new form of legalized gambling with many fewer regulations. Twitter will also be removing accounts that allegedly impersonate celebrities for hawking new cryptocurrencies for investment. So what happens to computer security going forward? Only time will tell. And so many Americans are afraid of what happens next. We at least know the world still turns and the truth marches on. And that's why this has been News to You. Brought to you by Pneumonium. Brought to you by Pneumonium. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I've only said, yeah, I didn't say that enough. See what happens when we don't do a show? I get off the rhythm. I miss, I miss this. I miss, it's like riding a bike, and I just forget how to ride a bike. So You're not um, very athletic. <laughs> yeah, you don't ride bikes. I'm not very athletic. I walk 12 miles a day. Come on, who does that? That's nothing about athleticism. Yeah, people have tried to tell me that walking Anyone without an polio for... can walk 12 miles a day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, that's wow. kind of mean. <laughs> when was the last time you walked 12 miles in a day, Tyler? None, but I ran yeah, some. Yeah, exactly. So you shut Yeah, up. I ran I mean, some. I break I mean, sweats I, during I ran, the week. I ran three today, if that's any consolation. No, it's not any consolation. When's the last time you broke Be- a sweat working out, Eric? Uh, walking 12 miles is actually sweat-inducing. And then before that, whenever I run on the elliptical and I can't go outside there, in the gym. You should do that anyway. Yeah. It's mucho better Ex- for you. Didn't you see the TED talk about how exercising brings back brain cells that you don't regenerate after certain It age? does. That's why I walk 12 miles at 4 miles Exercising an hour. and high-intensity workouts Tyler, does Tyler, you know that. what? I'll, I'll have this argument with you if you can go on a 12-mile walk with me and keep up. All right? That doesn't you can keep fine. up with me for 12 whole miles. I will, I will listen to what you have to say. But challenge until then, accepted. I'll run 12 miles. Okay. It'll save me the time. Yeah, we, do should, it. All, we should all just do a uh, half marathon, the pull request half marathon. There actually was a half marathon today. It's going to be the, the tortoise and the hare, and Eric just walks the whole time and beats us. They went from, uh, <laughs> yeah, and you guys are passed out. <laughs> no, on the Brooklyn it, Bridge, it, it, and it, I how the story it. goes. We got to stop by a friend's house, get some soup, and then just, <laughs> you know, just keep on uh, uh, lollygagging. Stop by a bar, catch happy hour. Yeah. <laughs> Eric's just walking, listening to that song by the girl singer. <laughs> Thank you for being Which, a friend. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought you meant Cindy Lauper. I also listened to her. Anyway. Um, anyway yeah, so, I mean, I get it. There's a lot of, because of the boom in cryptocurrency and, and ICOs and all that stuff, that there is a, a real reason for uh, deluding users. And that's also why it's illegal to sell things on the phone in Florida. That same reason. I'm not kidding. Hmm. 
So, um, <laughs> Google will ban ads promoting, promoting cryptocurrency and ICOs uh, in June. Um, yeah. Uh, here's another one from Google's uh, uh, G Suit update. They're, they have yet another lawsuit. That's why I call it G Suit. Um, for, again, anti something biases. So this is anti-white pro-Asian biases. Or no, sorry, anti-white comma Asian biases. Um, the Alphabet Inc. unit had, quote, irrefutable policies memorialized in writing and consistently implemented in practice of systematically discriminating in favor of job applicants who were Hispanic, African-American, or female and against Caucasian and Asian men, according to the complaint filed in state court in Redwood City, California. Arne Wilberg, or Arnie, A-R-N-E, Worked at Google and its YouTube unit. <laughs> Don't YouTube unit. Anyway, uh, <laughs> for about, I know we said we had to take a break on the dick jokes, but it was right there. Uh, for about nine years, both as a contractor and as an employee, claims he was terminated in retaliation for complaining to human resources about the company's hiring practices. Wilberg also alleged that, the late, uh, that late last year, management deleted emails and other digital records of diversity requirements. A Google spokesperson said the company will vigorously defend itself against the lawsuit. Quote, we have a clear policy to hire candidates based on their merit and not their identity, which if you read the memo put out by James Damore, you can see that's wrong. Or he argues that it's wrong. So at the same time, they say, Gina Scigliano, uh, at the same time, we, apolo- we unapologetically tried to find a diverse pool of qualified candidates for open roles as this helps us hire the best people, improve our culture, and build better products. Now, when they say best people, they might not mean the best people at their job, just the best people to hire for Google. This is a uh, this is interesting to me because, you know, in kind of a TLDR, it, it's like Google got in trouble for having too many white and and or white and Asian male employees, and then they started to nip it at the bud by just not hiring white and Asian <laughs> employees, and then they got in and trouble sued, for yeah. directly not hiring white and Asian employees to fix the trouble that they had. So it's like, technically and legally, how do you do that? You know, you have to, like, do all your recruiting at, like, specifically Hispanic and Indian and, like, other colleges and, like, very ethnic places in the neighborhoods and stuff like that. Otherwise, well, like, it, I don't, I don't it's know. Gotta, you or better yet, you could just not care what people's races are. Well, you're right. You could do well, that, that, and then you well, end up somehow. If they're hiring, if they're if they're probably just getting more white and Asian applicants anyway, because well, it's, it's, it's heavy that, in the field. The field's that way. That uh, that's not so. In that case, then uh, why not just make an effort to uh, try to gain interest and try to educate uh, a more diverse group at a uh, younger age? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like you because... have to go recruit from places that were specifically ethnic, not of white and Asian, to avoid. Getting, to get a lot less, you know, well, of those applicants. So here's the thing, because like, they, like uh, I've seen, they are doing this, but there's also definitely this uh, situation of favoring usually like uh, the uh, uh, those of uh, Latino, uh, uh, African American, people of color, female, and uh, w- with those, it's like they could have uh, the, like uh, either an education uh, background of not computer science, and they still want them to be. Uh, uh, programmer even though they have no programming experience or seen even but so i think if there was like a way to be like make this a non-issue like let it die down nobody pays attention to it it, it, all of a sudden you're just like okay regardless of who you are you're good at this let me hire you that's what i i want to say that they didn't have a uh a, a white and asian bias or indian even bias 
uh, when they started in Google that just we, the most qualified people were of those backgrounds. And then they said, well, now we have to diversify the group. It can't just be these three groups of people. But then in order to do that, you have to accept. If the meritocracy yielded a slightly homogenous population, then you can't have strict meritocracy if you, if you want diversity. Now, if you don't well, care. Well, no, that's the thing. Saying like you need diversity is what's creating the, this racial issue, uh, regardless of what, what race are, is on the, the, the uh, short end of the stick. Right. If you're saying this is a non-issue, as in you, uh, then it, you're just letting it naturally happen that the people of merit are the ones being uh, uh, selected. But the key the problem there with is to the... just not uh, care about – make it a non-issue. This can't – like the more people focus like on this and the model, more people discuss solution, about this. Christian, seems to be based on the fact that there are – You're a white guy with a job in technology. all races, but it doesn't seem to be the case with Google. I'm well, say, the thing I'm is, it, that, it doesn't seem to be the, the case. Well, it doesn't, like, wait, wait, wait. Even hold if on. It doesn't seem to like, even it's still the problem is going to still persist. It doesn't seem to be the case in companies that have diversity officers that are executives. I'm serious. Okay. Because they're I, not people. Apple has one. Apple had one. She got into trouble for saying that. Why do you think that a group of white guys can't come up with a, 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 as good of ideas as a group of of, of I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't want to say colored people. <laughs> I think but, the know, term uh, multicultural is, uh, people. It's non-Asian people of color right now. The thing is, is that, like I said, I believe Google originally had a meritocracy, and that meritocracy lent itself to only a few ethnic groups getting in, and that they need they need more of a of a multicultural representation, which is fine, uh, but that's going to come at the cost of having a strict meritocracy, and so that's the thing, and so you're going to have it pushed. And this is just a pendulum that's swinging, and if, if 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 white guys were not allowed jobs because of some diversity quota, despite the fact that they were well qualified, I don't know if that's actually illegal. And I don't know. And I don't know if the company says, "Well, look, we've got like ninety percent white guys. Can we hire a few uh, Latina women, or you know, something like that?" I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's if that's creating like, uh, like it's like creating um, a farm for people of different races, where it kind of infantilizes people you, of different races. You know, I've seen companies do that. I, I don't think I've seen enough companies do is say like, "Hey, if you want to." Uh, 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 even apply to this company, do this test, and that test—it's—it's it's really testing your skills, and you have no idea what this person looks like until they actually pass this test. At which point, then you say, "Here's a pool of qualified people," and then you can do this stuff. So then, the, the, then the, 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 if you want to be diverse, you can. But to be able to say, here, like, if you have this test first, where you have no idea what this person looks like whatsoever, you—they you, don't even submit a name; they submit an ID. And you see the ID, and that ID then correlates with the email address that, uh, that you're communicating with the applicant. And at that point, you say, okay, you've passed this test. You are therefore qualified. Now we can get to the face-to-face to see how you are uh, culturally and whatnot. Well, here, check, check this out. Here's an article that uh, is not on, the, not on the show notes, but uh, is, is very relevant. It's from a web consultancy called 10 Degrees. They're British, 10Degrees.uk. And their HR manager, Linda Vaughn, wrote this article called Why We Don't Employ Female Developers. And this is a very interesting read. So she's a woman, I'm pretty sure. Um, and she wrote this on National Women's Day, International Women's Day, which was uh, uh, last week. Which, so she burned uh, up the steak? It wasn't last week. It was in February and because I, I made a comment of how women get both Valentine's Day and Women's Day in the same month. That's not fair. Wait, here's what's worse, though, is that Wait, Women's hold- History Month is the month after Black History Month. 
That's that's not fair. Like, if we're going to only have two prominent history months, like, they can't okay, put we're them getting, right next we're to each other. Okay, we're getting off the rails. We're getting off the rails. Anyway, because uh, I, 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 I... Anyway. Uh, so here's... here's and I'll read this, I'll read this quickly. Um... We don't employ any female website developers at 10 degrees. There's very one simple reason for that. We've never had any women apply for our developer vacancies. Not one. We know from industry networking that there are many female web developers out there, but women are a minority in our industry. Last year, as a team, we watched a very interesting TED Talk by Reshma Saujani, the founder of Girls Who Code, a U.S.-based initiative. There are two key points that jumped out to us from a transcript of Reshma's talk. One, girls have the ability to be really good coders. They're choosing not to. Two, as website developers, most of our clients or end users are women, yet our business and industry is predominantly male, which actually is a very interesting insight. So what can we do about that? And... She says, we, try, we want to promote gender equality, and we'd love to have female or other gender developers on our team so that we better represent the demographics of the world we live in. But we are not going to recruit someone just because they are a woman. We want the best people on our team, regardless of their gender. We can't do much about how many women are already in the industry, but maybe we could do something to encourage the next generation of girls to get into the industry. See, that and I so, agree with. Yeah, no, and this is totally fine. And so they're trying to in, come up with enriching young girls... Uh, young ladies, young women, to um, to get in develop get into web development, so they might want to become web developers when they grow up, uh, and they try to get involved in their local community. But right now, they do not have a diverse population that they've hired because they want they have a strict meritocracy. And the question is this, because it seems like this is mutually exclusive. I believe that. There's an equilibrium, but this is still mutually exclusive at the ends, which is that do you want a meritocracy or do you want a diverse group? You're not going to get both. Hmm. Maybe in some instances you can get both, especially over a large sample size. But given, given how skewed the uh, demographics are in the technology industry, I would say that you can't have a real meritocracy without... Uh, without having some sort of bias, whether it's towards one group of people or another. And that is exactly why Google is in is being sued from multiple angles right now with this, oh, you're prejudiced against white people, oh, you're prejudiced against women, oh, you're prejudiced against Asians. You're, it's like they're getting it from both sides, and there's not really a nice way out of this, uh, except for us because we don't work with Google. So why don't we move on and hit the eject <laughs> button on this subject uh, nice transition. to prevent... Sorry? Nice transition. Thank you. Um, to, uh, well, you know what? Let's actually have a, have a, have a better transition. Why don't, we, uh, why don't we take a quick break? Say, friends, do you live in New York City? Well, if you do, Pneumonium has a beautiful new product for you. It's called Where Am I? Your five-borough compass navigator to help you get anywhere from Staten Island to the Bronx. Simply go to www.whereami.nyc and enable location services on your mobile device to find your neighborhood, borough, and three closest subway stops to you, wherever you are. No ads, no tracking, that's geospatial brilliance, that's Where Am I? Brought to you by Pneumonium. Pneumonium, reinventing media daily. I don't think you can call that app new anymore. <laughs> I mean, no. not you, you should tell the people at Pneumonium. Well, it's. I need to make it a native app. I actually need to work on Next Train, which is something that I was supposed to be working on, but then I got mad busy. So, anyway, Next Train doesn't sound like what I think it is. Next Train just tells you when the next train is coming. You don't have to hit anything. You're on the but you're on the platform. You go to Next Train. Is it, and it, is, it says, re- is it reading from lies or is it knowing the truth? 
It's reading for uh, is the MTA's API lies. You should find the yes. next Soul Train. Then it's lies. Okay. It's like, have well, you taken the J train before? Have you seen the, the schedule that's printed versus when a train actually shows well, now up? Now that they have countdown cli- uh, uh, timers, it's even more depressing once you find out that those are a complete lie. They don't even list that it's a delay. <laughs> <laughs> they just say, hey, the train is here. On it's schedule. Like 10 minutes later. <laughs> What they've started doing, I don't know if you guys have seen this, seen this at Essex Street, is you'll have a J and an M train come up at the same time, and you'll have to figure out which one of them is going to leave first. Oh, it's the worst. It's always the M. The secret it's is, the M. here's, wait, I'll tell you how you can tell. The secret is, before they arrive, only one of the two tracks gets the signal, gets the green light to leave, even though they arrive at the same time. Uh, the one that has the green light to leave will leave first, on either side. Nice. It's always the M. No, it's not. Nope. In my experience, it's actually been the J most of the time. In my experience, it's been the M. Which is I've why... I've seen both, and I've got them no, wrong it's not. both times, exactly. and then I got mad. Exactly. Hmm. So, anyway, this episode is about Subways. No. It's about... <laughs> I mean, we've, al- we've almost done a whole episode catching up from, la- from the last two weeks. We're in an hour 20, it's it looks like. probably the single most common thing we talk about on this show. <laughs> Trains. That's yeah. fine. I'm ha- I, look, I'm going to be driving a real car in Austin. I don't like that. That's weird. I mean, it's not weird. Because I have had a car for a lot of my life, but I don't like, I don't I don't know. like driving. When we hear pedestrian deaths are up in Austin, we'll know why. Yeah, and jaywalking is illegal there, too. But instead of giving you a ticket, they shoot you. So. It's okay, because you have gotten that gun. Yeah. I should have got No, I should have took my Kevlar vest. I'm telling you, that's right. Your, Your state vest. of Florida provisioned Kevlar vest is it works for every, you know, you know what? I'm not going to say anything because it's too soon. Uh, after Parkland, um, anyway, don't even go there. Ooh. Um, yeah, well, too soon. Too soon. I'm not. I'm not trying. That's why I just said it was too soon. Ooh, shame. Oh, shut up. You don't even know where Parkland is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. This week's episode. Hopefully, it's not an exceedingly long episode. Even though I feel like it's going to be, um, is about denial of service uh, and specifically distributed denial of service attacks. In the last few weeks, there have been a lot of high power, high power, and high profile uh, DDoS distributed denial of service attacks. And um, why don't we take a minute to explain how a denial of service attack works, Christian? Why don't you take it away? So. Kind of very broad there with this. This is. Do you want? Well, what is it? What is a denial of service attack? I can do it easier. Okay, Tyler, you go. Tyler, what? You want music for this? No, you hit a website server so much with so many different requests that it overloads and it can't handle anything, and then so no one gets the website anymore. Well, that's one possible DDoS. No, I said DOS. Basic denial of service attack. That also is just one. Okay, what's another type of denial of service attack? You can have a uh, CCP connection that stays open for practically forever and sends just the minimal amount of data, and you can keep, keep on creating those, creating a minimal amount of connections to a server, and eventually uh, causing a uh, either too many files open, mm. or you're, you're actually starting... Or like a memory error, an out-of-memory error yeah. or something like that. you're still requesting so much stuff from the server that it just overloads. No, you're just keeping the connection open, sending random data to it that is... Uh, like uh, oh, just enough with data to keep... and not connections. No, 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 you're just keeping the connection open is all. Right, just... you've got two. You've got two separate attacks. You've got your attack, which is data. You've got the other one, which is connections. It's like a horizontal versus a vertical. Well, attack. no, there's also sending uh, just as much data as possible, flooding the NIC. 
The one I'm talking about is his TCP connection. I know. I'm saying. I'm saying you both have two different types of denial well, of service. Well, both of ours are actually connection ones. There is a data. There are data ones, which there oh. are many different data ones. I think. Like well, okay. The, the most the mo- the one that's been in the news recently is called the reflection attack, which you actually use IP spoofing to uh, say request all this data from something. And then as the victim IP address, and you're not actually that victim IP address, you're spoofing, is it? So that way it'll, uh, so it'll traffic actually is redirected go, to that yeah. IP. Yeah. Uh, That's good. Now, what is the difference between a DOS, which is just denial of service, and DDOS, DDoS, which actually I believe has picked up over the last, definitely the last 10 years. I've heard DDoS much more. I remember when I was a teenager, it was just DOS. I'm starting to think they're the same at this point because I hear them. At this point, they well, might be the same. They, they're they square they What is what is the difference? Wow, you're using that analogy? Of course I am. Oh, my <laughs> wait, God. Wait, he's talking about rectangles and squares, and he's not making fun of our job, Eric. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wait, what? Did you no. always say that all our job is just changing the shape of the color of a box? That is our job. <laughs> oh, <it> is. <laughs> and we yeah. get paid damn good money to change those colors to boxes, Tyler. Anyway, the thing is, no, because I remember when we had some kind of like virtualization versus uh, containerization debate, and I was like, it's squares versus rectangles. This was back in like 2016. That's not squares versus rectangles. I know, but now all these years later, you're like, oh, just like a square and a rectangle. DDoS is square and a rectangle, though. Okay, so D- so DOS is the square, as the is the rectangle, and a DDoS is the square. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, what is the key difference between denial of service and distributed denial of service? So it's a, the a, D. A DOS is just a, any way of taking down a service, whether it be like a single server that you manage to knock out, or if you manage to knock out all the servers from a single point. But uh, essentially, you're just like one attacker. A DDoS, on the other hand, you're you're attacking from multiple endpoints. Basically, like uh, um, there's a very dirty analogy I can make, but I won't make it. Don't do not do that. Yeah, no, I will not. So you um, got a whole bunch of different servers attacking, you know, the the main set, you know, attack target as opposed to just one. Right, this way yeah. if you shut – because you can shut off the one guy, and then that's pretty – relatively simple, but you can't shut off a whole army of people from around the entire world trying to ruin your server. Why don't we take a step back and talk about the history of denials of service? <laughs> uh, the first denial of service attack was on this Plato uh, terminal. Plato was uh, the Plato system was created in 1960 at the University of Illinois. Initially, it ran as a one-terminal system connected to the Iliac computer. I assume that was the Illinois uh, University computer. By 1963, the system was running at a CDC-1604 with multiple simultaneous users. By 72, the system had expanded to run a thousand simultaneous users on a CDC-Cyber mainframe. Control Data Corporation began marketing Plato commercially in 1976, resulting in Plato system installations in dozens of cities around the world. Many of these systems were interconnected, enabling email and remote logins throughout the network. For nearly 10 years, there were more users on Plato than there were on ARPANET, the precursor to the Internet. The first denial of service on Plato uh, comes from this guy, David Dennis. As far as I know, I'm the first person to have created a DOS of a room full of Plato terminals deliberately. Systems uh, people could, of course, kick anyone off that they wanted, and the operator wars had existed for years, which is actually kind of funny. It's like what we do on Zencast before recording the show, Christian. Uh, <laughs> but those t- but those tended to be consensual attacks on each other. Jesus. What I did was I when I heard about a new command 
called the External Command and Tutor, or EXT. Specifically, one of the music kids was saying how if you didn't have a device attached, an EXT command would cause your terminal to lock up and have to be powered off. Remember, powering off was discouraged due to the always on the, the always concern over flaky power to the plasma panels. Interesting. The other piece of this was that they had rolled out the external command to everyone in the fall of 1974 after it had only been in use by the music project. That means that every user account of Playlo, Play, Plato was set to a default can accept EXT commands permission. Default on. If you recognize the fault enabled from any firewall work, you immediately recognize the trouble. Anyway, I heard this and immediately thought of how a room full of annoying users could be locked up at once. My, th my little 13-year-old brain wanted to see a room full of users all locked up at once. So I wrote a little program that sent EXTs to everyone within a range of site numbers and waited until, it, it, until I was over at CERL -E curl one morning and let her rip. It worked as advertised, and 31 users all had to power off at once. Great mayhem in the classroom. Site monitors notified. No logging, of course, and I was never detected. That well, was it. So that's, that was the first one. That's a very ancient and does not apply remotely. Yeah, he figured out how to take down people's sessions over yeah. the whole uh, multi-user mainframe system. That's, and... Uh, yeah. It was actually, I mean, I love, I love old attacks like that because they're usually very simple and it just, and, and all these old systems had well, no security. It, my issue or, is it's a non-issue. Uh, like it, it was solved. There's certain uh, attacks that are much more Well, I mean, I know this is the first one though. It's like the first person to send uh, email spam. Well, anyway. you read about that and you're like, oh, this was just people didn't think of this, and this is actually really simple. Like I said, because all of those old systems were default open, like how Windows didn't ha had had no administrator account until they worked Windows NT in. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, anyway, something uh, more recent, as in happened during our lifetime. In 1995, activists launched manual DOS protest, protest attacks. In the mid to late 90s, activist groups began using the Internet as a way to create virtual sit-ins, blocking access to websites as a form of protest. Perhaps the first group to exercise this power was the Strano Network, a collection of like-minded people who worked to protest the French government's nuclear policy. Rather than using a program to repeatedly connect to a website, the Strano Network asked participants to visit and repeatedly reload targeted sites by hand. Kind of funny. Uh, Floodnet and the self-installed DDoS bot in 1998. A few years after the Strano Network, another group of performance artists and protesters, the Electronic Disturbance Theater, developed a tool called Floodnet that participants could download and run on their own computers. The attack tool would then use a list of targets provided by the EDD to attack specific websites. The first major use of the tool was to support the Zap uh, Zapatista army in Mexico against the government in 1998 and also attack the World Trade Organization in November. Uh, 1998, Smurf attacks! Not to be confused with the television show that was on in the 90s. Uh, the first major amplification and reflection attacks also appeared in 1998 when online miscreants used their ability to cause other servers to ping a target using ICMP, the Internet Control Message Protocol. Known as a Smurf attack, this made all the computers blue. No. Um, known as a Smurf attack, well, these I mean, packets... if they're uh, Windows computers, blue screen and death. You know what? That actually might have been what it was. 
<laughs> by using a network broadcast address, the attacker can amplify the number of packets sent by a number of packets sent by a factor of 255. The attack was used against the University of Montana in March of 98, causing a chain reaction that led to significant outages and 30% packet loss. In 99, Trinu and the first server botnets appeared at the University of Minnesota. Uh, Trinu kicked off a trend in compromising servers of denial-of-service attacks. A popular program called... Uh, whoa, whoa. German for barbed wire, was created by a hacker using the name Mixter and then by others to attack a variety of sites. Another program, known as the Tribe Flood Network, was similar to Trinu, and it was used by Michael Kalcha, then known as Mafia Boy, to take down major websites at the time, including Amazon, CNN, and Yahoo. Turn of Millennium comes across. DOS attackers increasingly leverage DNS attacks, the main name service. DNS packets have often been used by attackers as a payload during DOS attacks. Uh, but beginning in 2000, the Computer Emergency Response Team Coordination Center warned that an increasing number of attacks had begun to use DNS as a means of amplifying bandwidth. Uh, companies largely failed to heed the warning, and in another advisory six years later, the United States CERT noted that 75 to 80 percent of servers still f- allowed recursion, the DNS server capability that allows amplification attacks. What is ca- uh, uh, recursion, really quickly, in DNS, Christian? So that that's uh, the ability to, to query a DNS server and says it doesn't have this record, so let me go to another DNS rec- uh, server to see if it, it has this record. And how do they work around that now? Uh, so. Because I would assume, like, if I run a local DNS server, it doesn't have all the whole DNS for the internet. So what do you? It has to you can have a, a server that server. does do recursion, and that goes out to like a public resolver that will definitely have it. And then, for, uh, for otherwise, it, it goes to your main DNS server, which will have to resolve the correct records. Ah, okay. Moving on, uh, a lot of worms, which I don't necessarily think are strict denial-of-service attacks, but uh, the blaster worm and other worms in the early 2000s forced Microsoft to stop working on Windows and retool Windows to be more secure. Excuse me. In 2009, approximately 50,000 computers infected with the MyDoom worm were attacked, uh, were used by attackers to target government, financial, and business steps, sites, excuse me, in the United States government and sites in South Korea. The attack, which saw a peak bandwidth of 13 gigabits per second, caused little downtime but prompted politicians to blame North Korea for launching the attack. In 2016, the insecure Internet of Things devices used to amplify, which probably gave rise to the UK government's code of practice, we just mentioned, uh, almost 50,000 IoT devices in 164 countries flooded targets with traffic up to 280 gigabits per second, according to security firm Imperva. So that was the Mirai bot, which uh, actually... uh, The fallout uh, helped my company make money, but... uh, (laughs) Uh, Basically, uh, that was the thing that was used to DDoS uh, Dyn back... uh, Ah, yes. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, with that... uh, So the number that you put out there is nothing compared to the next tech, uh, the next big one to come. Yes. Well, they keep getting bigger. Uh, And, and, I mean, this... this, The... uh, What is it? The resulting attacks topped 620 gigabits per second. This is definitely increasing in terms of traffic. Uh, but the Git, uh, the one, the biggest one, the GitHub one, uh, we'll talk about in a minute, is even way bigger than that in terms of traffic. But um, oh, actually, that is the next one. 2018 yep. attackers used Memcached, 
As DOS tool, memcache is a key value store uh, that keeps things in memory that you can use across processes. Is that right? Way so putting that? it's a process of its own that yeah, provides a key value store in That memory. you can reference from other scripts, including something well, that you really don't like. Well, it's like using a database. But, right. Yeah. And you can use that in PHP. Right. Uh, I don't know why but, you would use so memcache it, it instead was, of Redis, though. Why don't they use Redis? Well, it's usually use Redis more often, but there are people who still use Memcache. And like GitHub, it's a little no- apparently. No, and they weren't the users of Memcache. Oh. Yes. So it was uh, the attacker found Memcache users that had uh, uh, did not close the port that Memcache uses UDP on, which is actually very little known that uh, uh, Memcache has a UDP interface. So Interesting. Using that, though, they spoofed as GitHub's IP address to these Memcache uh, servers, saying uh, requesting data... And then all that data just floods flood, uh, GitHub's NICs. That's also uh, was detected by Cloudflare. They also saw something like this. And it's been an attack that's going around here or there lately where like you're seeing up to like 1.17 uh, uh, terabytes right now. Terabits. Terabits per second, sorry. Right. So, I mean, think about this. In 2016, we talked about the thing that toppled Dyn that was 620 gigabits per second. This is over one terabit per second. Well, 1.35 Dyn is not double. Well built, but, uh, I mean, it got acquired to, uh, by an Oracle that's for software goes to die. But, um, yeah. And it did die in 2016. Yeah. But with anyway. That, GitHub, though, that is a much more legitimate problem. It is. Uh, and, uh, quote, it's one of the best protocols to use for amplification ever, Marek Majowski, a team member with Cloudflare, stated on the company's blogs. Quote, there are absolutely zero checks, and the data will be delivered to the client with blazing speed. Furthermore, the request can be tiny, and the response can be huge. So that's, I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the biggest matzo ball we've had so far, is... Uh, is is this GitHub attack? And, um, well, it's not just been GitHub. GitHub was probably the most well publicized victim of it, though. Yes, and the attack is called Mem Crashed. Yeah. Uh, but what's funny is they posted the proof of concept code for it on GitHub. It's now that GitHub is back. I up. mean, uh, if you remember, there was that one day I messaged you on uh, Hangouts, being like, "So remember that uh, IP spoof thing we did for the show?" Yeah. Is that like, what yeah, this is? That that can do attacks now. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I don't want to become... I, You know, I want to become internet famous, but not like that. Well, basically, anybody who can IP spoof over UDP uh, can do this attack. So I, I had a question originally that do these attacks require TCP or can they also be done over UDP? But it looks like they're, it, just, it, they're just packets has, and reflecting packets, so well, it doesn't matter. So one thing is uh, IP spoofing in TCP is much, much more hard due to it being connection-based. And also with this, this uh, reflection attacks do not work with TCP. Reflection attacks only work with UDP. And why is that? Because it, 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 TCP is connection based and UDP is not. Oh, that's it. Yes. Okay. I guess I mean, UDP that, you could just that's send a, like, that's a, a huge thing there. That, that, like that is a huge thing because yeah. with UDP you could just send a packet that then gets. It is like it is like firing that laser into the middle of Death Star. It gets ingested and then it blows up. No, it's more like no? it's more like spraying a fire hose. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And how about, like, putting one of those little aliens in a jar of water that gets bigger over time? Not really. <laughs> no? That's that's okay. growth, not... Like, you're sending something at something, so... Right, yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, yeah. So what, do you, so what do we have to say about Mem Crashed? That's, uh, that's this new DDoS attack that's attacking Mem Cached at a, uh, with, as an amplification. 
Bouncing traffic off of memcached can amplify an attack by more than 51,000 times. Well, so it's not an amplification attack. It's using the word amplification, though, but an amplification attack is something totally different. What this okay, is, what is, is an amplification attack? A amplification attack is basically saying you send that same attack, same uh, packet, and it gets uh, forwarded to something else, uh, so there's more of it. So how Okay, how is that different than a reflection attack? Reflection attack is IP spoofing, basically, saying I request all this data and I send it to the real IP address. Gotcha. Okay. So how is this not an amplification attack if they used memcached to amplify their attack Because memcached isn't forwarding the data. It's sending a response back. Oh. Okay. So how did this work then? So, so the attacker... Attacker spoofs as GitHub's IP address. As GitHub's IP address. They and then send, they send UDP the packet packets to, to these memcached servers. And the then that memcached responds, responds with its data back to github yes which is probably a lot of data like a whole object for something it's and then 1.17 terabits per second of data well that's that's aggregate but i meant just like no one, that's not one client oh well that wouldn't be an attack that would just be invalid traffic at that point but how and do you so you, can't, that, you can't send well, wait so you no, but you can't send one packet that then generates all of that traffic you send one packet to a few computers that amplify it a lot Yes. So yes. You're, 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 and it's not one packet. You're sending requests from memcache over UDP as the spoofed IP address to the memcache server. The memcache server then responds, thinking it's doing the right thing to the IP address that you sent. Right. That is that then goes to GitHub with all the data, and that can you know, that and then that floods the server. So um, yes. Well, it floods it floods the, potentially the the routers, the switches, the the NICs, and then the, the server for actual managers to make its way all the way up to user space. And then they just find these memcached clients with uh with port sniffing so they and now they how do you uh, find one of they, the, how do you find one of these clients to attack so yes port sniffing is a uh, uh, one particular way and then one you can verify it is memcache by sending valid memcache traffic uh, once you do uh, sniff the port so these are all just publicly exposed ports of memcache that shouldn't be exposed Ah, gotcha. Hey, I just realized something. I didn't hit record on Zencaster. You guys are recording this locally, right? Yeah. Yeah, I told you that. Okay. <laughs> Oops. This is what happens when we take a break. Um, okay. So the thing is, is that, well, I guess that's really it. That it's just a massive amplification attack and port sniffing. And what else did you say? So the. the they do, the attacker does the port sniffing to find the memcache servers, and then once they know the memcache servers are there, they do the attack. They do the attack. Yeah. Okay, and they just, like, scan a whole IP range for this port. Yeah. But how how do they know that it's connected to GitHub? It's not connected to GitHub. It's totally unrelated to GitHub. This just makes a request to memcache. Oh, there's no validation on the protocol. No, no, no. no. So it'll just respond what, 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 with any request? What? No. What? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Eric, just, no, just, I, I, just go next just, before you confuse the audience. This is the next. So what what it does is once the attacker knows that these memcache servers are out there... It, it fudges sends, its IP and it sends a request to memcache and then yeah. it responds with an object that gets sent to the IP that it was spoofing. Yeah, right. so these these are just like Joe Schmo's memcache servers. So it's any memcache... If I'm running memcache on my computer right now and if it weren't connected behind a router, it would actually be vulnerable public, to this If you're on attack. a public IP address with a an, uh, with an, uh, publicly open uh, UDP port... Of eleven to uh, two eleven, 
and you get this traffic to you, the memcache server, it looks like perfectly valid traffic, and you're just using the this, this source IP of those request packets to uh, know who to respond to. And with gotcha. that, so you send all this data back, and so the attacker spoofed the source IP address as GitHub's IP addresses. And right, so right, right. then those are what are, what are actually uh, receiving the, uh, the, the data. This is, might be the biggest thing since the blaster worm. No. Well, yeah, in, in uh, to, uh, payload size, yes. Yeah, well, and, and yeah. Um, okay, here's a question. Are DDoS attacks increasing or decreasing? Christian, what do you think? Uh, in frequency, uh, decreasing. In uh, size and severity, increasing. Okay, Tyler, how about you? I think Christian's right. <laughs> I mean, okay. technically, there's more uh, internet, two... so, like, yeah, numbers-wise, it's probably the same, but, like, percentage-wise, it's probably going down. Okay. Two reports were released this week, one by Verisign, the other one by Nexus Guard. Uh, both vendors reported a general increase in multi-vector attacks and an overall decrease in the number of DDoS attacks in the fourth quarter of 2017 compared to the prior quarter, but differed on the details based on the data gathered from their customer engagements. So I mean, these are also kind a small right. subsection. This is also a small subsection of the internet here. Really? Yeah. Why? It's just Verisign and these other guys. They they have a very. But don't small... they analyze the whole internet? No, no one can analyze the whole internet. You have various ASNs that have knowledge of their ASNs and ASN stands for PGP communities. A- a- ASN is something number. AS number Just space. Basically, it's the identification for your BGP announcements. American Society of Nephrology? Definitely not that. Uh, American type Society in B- for Nephrology. Nutri- if you're, if you're Googling BGP, Abstract ASN. Syntax Notation 1. Mm, Autonomous System Number. Yes. Think it's that. Oh, yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Within the Internet, an autonomous system is a collection of connected Internet protocol routing prefixes under the control of one or more network operators on behalf of a single administrative entity or domain that presents a common, clearly defined routing policy to the Internet. It was one sentence. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so Nexus Guard reported a 12% decrease in DDoS attacks between the fourth quarter of 2016 and the fourth quarter of 2017. Uh, and Verisign pegged the decrease in DDoS attacks during the same period at a somewhat higher 25%. So that's just for their sectors of the internet. That's for what they can see. So they might have partners that know these things. They might have um, customers. So it's not that either one of them is really wrong or not. It's just that they analyze different, probably different sectors of the internet. Yeah, I mean, you can also be like, so if every tier one provider uh, got together and, and uh, uh, showed their data, that would be much more accurate. But, gotcha. Should yeah. we create some kind of standards body, like governmentally, to, to do that? Like, it exists. Like, uh, it exists, and yes. that is what? The W3C? No. ICANN? No. Uh, ICANN might be. Okay. Um, I know OARC dis- uh, discussed this for, like, uh, DNS at least. Uh yeah, I can. I think I can and OARC. I think are the two that get the most mm. co- coverage of this. Gotcha. Um, Nexus Guard says multi-vector blended threats represent some fifty-six percent of recorded attacks last quarter, while single-vector attacks accounted for just over forty-three percent. Two-vector attacks, such as those combining UDP and DNS, accounted for nearly thirty-three percent of all multi-vector accounts, while three-vector atca- uh, attacks. Uh, accounted for more than 15%, according to Nexus Guard. 
Verisign, meanwhile, says a massive 82% of the DDoS attacks it mitigated in the fourth quarter of last year employed multiple attack types. Excuse me. While Nexus Guard had two vector attacks as the most common multi-vector attack types, Verisign says 46% of multi-vector attacks it encountered involved five or more attack types. Five or more? How do you... What do you need five of to do these... You got, what, IP spoofing, DNS, uh, memcached. How many vectors are, do you... What? Can you have? Oh, how do you have five no. or more... No, 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 no. What are five or more attack types? So attack types, so you can have uh, reflection, amplification, random oh, label attacks. Oh, I was thinking combined when they said multi-vector. I thought they so meant like they're multi-vector using... multi-vector can be like UDP, TCP, or it can be things like uh, you're going at the application layer, you're going at the Ethernet layer. It, it, but multi-vector implies that you're using more than one at a time to conduct your attack, not yes. just attacks from multiple vectors. Yes. So like how do you... So like this memcache thing, how many different vectors was that? Two? That was just... That's one. That's the, 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 this, this is right there. In this the is room. unrelated. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. The largest DDoS attack that Verisign dealt with last quarter topped out at 53 gigabits per second, which pales in comparison to the mem crash with GitHub. Uh, while Nexus Guard said the largest one it encountered weighed in at over 231 gigabits per second. Both vendors had roughly the same estimates for average peak attack sizes, with a substantial proportion falling under 10 gigabits per second. Verisign, however, noted a 32% year-over-year decrease in the average of attack peak sizes. Really? Hmm. Attack peak sizes have gone down, but this one is... I mean, when they say peak size, and they mean, like, the whole aggregate number, like the 1.35... Uh, you're talking on an average, not... The, yeah, but this, yeah. this attack, this, this GitHub attack, pulls the whole average up. It's more than double the, the previous one, which is already more than well, double the previous a, one before that. That's a single attack, though. But it's average attack peak sizes, I guess. Uh, Akamai saw almost the identical number of attacks in Q4 2017 uh, versus Q3 17, though the number of attacks has grown by 14% in the, since the same time in 2016. And interesting. Um, okay. Uh, do we have to? Do we have to stop the show? Is this uh, what's going on? That's what Are you running out like- of disk space. Yeah, I'm getting max file size warnings. Max, fi- how much file size do we have left? Um, I've got. Uh, I'm approaching. Delete your trash. Empty the trash. Come no, on. it's not. It's not disk space. It's a single file. <laughs> Is this in RAM? Yes. Oh. Okay. Well. Let's move on. There was one last thing that I wanted to talk about, which is that Russia's elections got hacked. Yeah, isn't that ironic? Um, they experienced a DDoS attack on election day, at least, except that, you know, Vladimir Putin still won. Um, but In by a wide margin. turnout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, nobody voted, but he still won by 100%. Uh, no. Um, it says that on March 18th, we, we repelled not experienced. We repelled a DDoS attack against the website between 2 and 5 a.m. Moscow time. The peak of the attack was at 2.20 a.m. The sources were located in 15 countries. The organization's information center was also targeted by the attack. Uh, President of the Russian telecom holding uh, Rostelecom reported on Saturday about the growing number of cyber attacks against various Russian websites over the past days of preparation for the presidential election. It's almost as if we would hack their election while complaining about them hacking us. It's only fair. Sounds about right. Sounds about right, yeah. Okay. And in in the name of disk space, I'll give you guys a choice for the last three 
stories. One of the last three. We could have A, man gets diarrhea on roller coaster. Please not B, that. Man who used anglerfish stomach sexually ends up in hospital. Or C, criminal gangs are stealing peanut butter cups and you're buying them. That one. Yeah. Quite the uh, technical article here. (laughs) We never, we don't really have tech articles for the for the nightcaps. I just just wanted to do something that's putting it to put a smile on your face. Um, just that there's a black market for peanut butter cups and they're selling them on the subway. That's basically it. <laughs> uh, and the, yeah. All those kids don't really need help for their basketball team? No. Those 30-year-old <laughs> kids that are saying that they're in high school. Um, they need snacks. New Jerseys. <laughs> they need New Jerseys. They need. They're, they're, they just live in New Jersey. That's where they got the idea. <laughs> um, actually, you know what? I haven't highlighted this article. It's not a good one. It's not a good one to use. Climate change, which is causing wide swings in the availability and price of food, is fueling food theft. After an unexpected freeze in 2011 savaged Florida's vegetable crops, sending produce prices skyrocketing, thieves stole six tractor trailers of tomatoes from Sunshine State wholesalers, which don't buy produce from Florida that aren't oranges because Florida soil is really awful, along with a truck full of cucumbers and another of frozen meat. The thieves managed to take the produce without violence but threat, uh, by pretending to be a legitimate trucking company. What is this even talking about? talking about food heists anyway you don't want to talk about the other one the worried guy about no. the dear god no okay i but it uh but it's anyway You're i guess it was taken down playing you off all right okay 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 that's it all right well We've had fun, and we're going to take another week off next week because I'm not going to be here. Unless you want me to take the mixer to to Austin, make that nah, mistake again. You, you did that last time. I, don't want to hear I did do that last time, and that. I spent a bunch of money, and then I I yeah. got I got uh, sick, so I couldn't do the show. I'll save it. All right. Well, in that case, we've come to another end. So, Christian, do you approve of this week's pull request? Looks good to me. Tyler, how about you? I do. Wonderful. And how about our exquisite studio audience? Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Then let's all hit merge. And we'll see you in two weeks right here on Polverquest. This has been the Pneumonium Production. The views and opinions expressed on Polverquest do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium LLC or its subsidiaries. This week's theme music provided by Wolfpack. Visit them at VUL.